Welcome to Strike a Chord, Eureka Ensemble's official live podcast, where we take a deep dive into important issues facing our community, the latest current in the classical music world, and how music can strike the right chord in engaging with those issues. Good evening, everybody. This is episode three of Strike a Chord. And here we are with our hosts having a little chit chat tonight. Andres Ballesteros, <laughs> Brittany Alcine, and me. I'm Krista Kondakji. I'm the artistic director for Eureka. All right, you guys ready? Who is going to do the chord of the week? Uh, I believe I am doing the chord of the week today. So we are doing, I'm going to spin to my piano for a sec. Is that C minor? What is that? Love that. Those uh, major minor chords, oh, like, yes. a, like a flat nine chord, mm. where it's like major in part of it, but it's also like the minor in the other part of it. I like that crunchiness. Which which major minor chord? That was a C major. It was C. It's like okay, basic great. crunchy. <laughs> nice. It's like the Kit Kat of chords. My Twitter handle is basic crunchy. <laughs> um, cool. I love the idea of the the major minor just happening at the same time. Because mm. I mean, like I'm. If anyone doesn't know, I'm still in school studying and stuff. So like one of the things we talk about is like how just tonality is. Or at least I've talked about how tonality is like weirdly centered around one thing and like major and minor is like the same so it's like whoa when you put it together it's like it doesn't sound the same but you know just your little nerdy tidbit right there there's a great uh video of uh, who's that um uh, of collier jacob collier talking about that on youtube mm. oh, yeah. cool let's do and some i'm thoughts. sure he then modulated to some like weird half oh yeah Lark. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, guys, ready for quick answers to these three prompts. What food combo describes your mood right now? What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And what piece, movement of a piece or section of a piece, could also be a song, doesn't need to be classical. What music would be assigned to you played in a loop in hell or assigned to you to play in hell? Brittany, sure. What oh, food sorry. combo is oh, your mood right now? Um, I'm gonna go with chicken tenders and gummy bears. I don't know why that came to mind. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> chicken tenders. Um. Did the major minor thing get like sweet and a bit? Yeah, you know, like chicken tenders, like slathered in gummy bears. Oh God, no, no, God, no, no! I would not have those things combined. So wait, is that a good mood? (laughs) (laughs) I think I think the Friday mood, but this is yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like Friday Eve. I think that's where the uh, the gummy bears would come into play. It's like a bit of, I've had some weird just spurts of energy yesterday and today. I think it's because mm-hmm. I'm drinking this new bubbly bounce. 
which has a, a bit of oh my light's too bright but it has a, a little bit of caffeine and like when i have that in the evening it's just a little just a little spark i need to get me going again um this episode is sponsored by bubbly bounce by bubbly that oh you gosh. can't see and that's for good reason because <laughs> we did not pay for the rights <laughs> so, oh my and chicken tenders are just nice and savory and they're a staple like you can't go wrong with them unless you do and then they're really wrong <laughs> that sounds like college life <laughs> for sure oh, so what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given um i think the best piece of advice i've gotten i've gotten a couple um was like from an old friend of mine fake it till you make it I really like that piece of advice mm. um, because that's like the opposite of what I try to do. I try to prepare, prepare, and you mean, over prepare. You like to make it till you fake it. <laughs> yeah, and then when I, so I don't have to fake it, you know. But there are some aspects in life where you just don't know. Like Crystal, you've always told me embrace uncertainty, and I think that kind of ties with fake it till you make it. Um, well, you've chosen a field where literally that's all you can grasp on like is the uncertainty yeah. of the moment like i always say the thing about conducting that's like terrifying i mean this is after the fact that you're in front of like 120 eyeballs in front of you and eyeballs behind you but like before the orchestra makes that first sound you have no idea what's going to happen you really really don't and so you like you yeah. have to give it up to them and it's an enormous amount of trust and uncertainty so very much so and then going along you got to keep keep making it even you know <laughs> things that you are sure of but then some things that you're not sure of just keep it going so that they can continue to i guess trust you to a degree yeah, yeah. Well, i like, mean we mostly know what we're doing up there just gotta say but <laughs> Is this not, like a truth or are you faking it right now? <laughs> oh my God. No, it's a truth. It's a truth. <laughs> well, it's like, how do you, uh, um, you know, when you started driving, when you drive on the highway for the first time, how can you prepare for that except to do it and fake it till you make it? Yeah. <laughs> Literally yeah. and switching lanes. Cause you just, you can read a book all day long about driving on the highway and the best ways to do it and how to look and when to look and how often blah 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 but until you're like in a lane with all the you know schmucks <laughs> next to you <laughs> and, and only in that moment will you know how your body is actually reacting right yeah mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah yeah i'm really analogy. concerned for any any future child you may be teaching how to drive now <laughs> me or Brittany? Yeah, I think I think he oh, both. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I'm I from the Mediterranean. Have you, if you ever see drivers in Rome or Albania or Greece, it's a, I'm from the Caribbean. Same, um, <laughs> the country my parents are from. I think there's literally one highway. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, oh Haiti God. has like one highway. So. You know, and the honk, the the horn is uh, to help with traffic. It's not, you know, it's in a it's an alert system. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm it's coming. Like in, in, in Mexico City, the the street lights are decorative. <laughs> They're just <laughs> those are pretty lights. Do they mean anything? Of course not. Yep. 
Christmas colors all year round. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, and then the last question, Brittany, what what yes. piece or movement of a piece? What what what's your hell piece? Or a song, right? Or a song. Um, or see, I like to think that I wouldn't go there, so not something I really want to think about. But you know, if for some whatever reason I end up being there, I think. I was reminded of this watching a show, um, starting to binge that. I was telling you about it yesterday, The Weakest Link. Started watching the reboot of it. And one of the trivia questions There's was a uh, There's a reboot. Yeah. Yes. There's also Jane a reboot Lynch of Frasier. Oh, yes. I did hear of that also, which I don't think oh, I'll watch. Um, <laughs> but um, Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen is a pretty. Yeah. So the like, hey, now this is whatever. That hey, song. I just met you. Oh, that one, right? Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. here's my number. <laughs> it's a call me maybe. Yep. No, you, you've infected. It's, it's one of those. Yeah, it's one of those earworms that like you can't get rid of for <laughs> hours to days once you're reminded it's like of it again. Music. <laughs> wow. Wow. Shots. Wow being fired See, right there are there isn't much of it so we'd hope that if you hear one it becomes an earworm <laughs> there you go that's why this episode is called cannonball because christo is firing cannonballs at britney she's shooting them right back <laughs> well it's so funny britney and i were doing a bunch of repertoire research last night and i and we were looking at chamber music for our upcoming eureka program <laughs> and i found this <laughs> This piece by a Native American composer entitled Viola Jokes for solo viola and tenor. <laughs> Is he Native the, American? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, film composer. Oh, no. And oh, the, ten, the lyrics on. for the tenor are literally viola jokes. Oh, and I shared right. my screen and we played it and Brittany's face was priceless because it's like, I'm listening to this and it's always on a delay when it's shared. And so I would hear it and like explode in laughter and moan, <laughs> and then her face would be like, <gasps> it's, "It's fantastic." I mean, they're funny. I can admit that they're funny, but you know, no, no. being a person who dabbles on the bigger violin, I uh, I take slight offense. <laughs> or smaller cello. But the but the viola part in that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the one of my uh, coworkers at Boston Arts Academy would always say, "How do you spell scholarship?" V I O L A. So you know, so anyone makes a viola joke, there's your answer. <laughs> or B A S S O O N. Yeah. True. True. That's a good point. Great. I'm gonna go yeah. next. That spells bassoon, just FYI, Christo. Oh! Not to be confused with buffoon. Oh, that's my nickname. <laughs> oh, wait, I made the joke oh, for you. Great. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cannonball. So, Welcome. This has been my food combo mood all week. Uh, a freshly baked batch of cookies, mm. but in its cooling period. So, well, Ooh. before it can be eaten. You know, that's literally, that's literally been my mood all week. I also had a freshly batched, baked batch of co cookies yesterday. Freshly batched. Fresh, oh. yeah. Batch, baked. Batch. Wait, it's a food combination though, right? 
Yeah, what is it with? Mr. Side. Hot sauce. <laughs> okay. Hot sauce. If I'm going to join the Britney wagon on this, yes. <laughs> Bit of Cholula hot sauce. Um, these uh, but, these food combos are reminding me of this this one time I dipped a Swedish fish in horseradish. Long story, but really fascinating combination. Would not recommend. <laughs> Throwing that out. <laughs> Anyhow, sorry. Oh my god. I don't know how to recover from that, but I, I will try. Best piece so of advice. <laughs> oh yeah, great. <laughs> Best piece of advice. Um, it is definitely to just be very much always yourself and in the sense of really just being honest first of all with yourself and then with other people around you hmm. and always speak the, speaking the truth and is that a that jordan peterson no it's my piece. mom oh <laughs> yeah and it got updated by a college professor in undergrad and then and then i was reminded of it again last year um of when you're honest with others to always be sweet about it and not brutal. <laughs> I think I mentioned that in another when I reached a call, and it's been really helpful in my life to speak truthfully with people, but in in a way that isn't um, destructive. Like in when you're on the podium and you're conducting orchestras of any level, you have enormous power to be destructive to the people in front of you. And, and mm. to like be, to find a way to be honest with a musician when they're making mistakes without a, without offending them or making them feel self-conscious is incredibly helpful mm. and useful. And it's a way of maintaining the energy well in a rehearsal, right? Because, you know, if, if Brittany, if you're playing in the section, everybody, Brittany plays viola. Um, yes, didn't know. <laughs> well, and you make a mistake, and then I call you out for it if I'm conducting and in front of the whole orchestra. That just kind of like how would that make you feel yeah, in morale. playing your best for yeah. the rest of rehearsal? Not yep. great, right? Yeah. Yep. Anyways, but that's the, I think that goes for everybody in your life. It's not just in in a conducting <laughs> scenario. And then uh, the last one. Oh, I have two <laughs> for what pieces in hell. My pops, the pop one is uh, graciously donated by my fiance, Chloe, <laughs> which is Ice Ice Baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and ice? Chloe knows to torture me with that because she will start singing Ice Ice Baby, dun, da da dun, da da dun, dun, whatever the rhythm is, right? <laughs> and then it will be stuck in my head for like a week. <laughs> That's a hot sauce in, in the cookie badge, is that? Thank, thank you for giving us that ammo. Oh, no. No. no and then the classical one, which, uh, do y'all know Bruckner 5? I know Bruckner. I have listened probably. to it at some point. Yeah, I probably have. So the introduction and uh, just right, the introduction of the first movement in Bruckner 5 right up to i think right when the exposition begins is would if that was on endless loop for me i think i would be in hell because it starts in b flat minor it's really really soft and slow with just descending pizzicati in the bass in b flat and then it's like that for like tr triple p for, for like a good two or three minutes 
and then suddenly out of nowhere the entire brass and winds and percussion I don't know, just all the brass screams in like four f's g flat major and so you're just like in this heavenly environment and then suddenly bah! and so if that was on endless loop i think i'd be in hell for sure and then if you add ice ice baby on top of that oh <laughs> Oh all right, God. Andres. It's uh, right, Ice Ice Baby. Now. Yeah, it's just Ice Ice Baby very quietly with that one chord slammed in the middle. Ice, I ice love baby. it. <laughs> Great. Well, please, please bring that to us next time, Brittany. <laughs> uh, um, you see I... how they treat me, people? <laughs> it's out of love. Um, yeah. <laughs> What, what, a food combination. Yeah. That um, describes your mood. My, right now. That describes my mood right now. Um, oh, maybe like arroz con leche or something. Like, you know. Wow. A little, a little like, subtle flavor. I'm feeling like mellow and, you know, pretty neutral, but positive neutral. Like, Arroz con leche is one of those that's like it's a it's a good solid dessert without being like super. Good is debatable. Good is debatable. I don't know what you guys are talking about. What is? I'm a I'm a I'm a have you 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 have to try my ants now. I don't like ants. The arroz con leche just translates to rice with milk. It's kind of like a looser rice pudding. And yeah, sounds great. I, I don't. I like know some people don't like the texture. Rice pudding. Yeah, I don't like. Oh. Patients have a similar thing, and mm -mm, mm -mm. I, I, I can <laughs> accept you as you are. Um, Thank you. Thank you. That's all I ask. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys are so brutal to each other. Jeez. See, that's uh, speaking can, the truth. Can you tell the sweetly. biases here? We're just slamming <laughs> Creed still on the ground and like <laughs> gently accepting each other. Oh gosh. Um, Every year we could call. And we <laughs> accepting each other while slamming Creed to the ground. That's such a beautiful statement. It's, uh, the the, the really Eureka culture. Oh, um, uh, oh gosh. And How to keep I don't know, scram scrambled eggs. Check. Oh, and scrambled eggs. And scrambled well, eggs, you know. Also, rice pudding and scrambled eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Same, I see the vibe same, you're trying yeah. to put out there. Yeah. 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 That seems quite soggy. <laughs> I'm, I'm just keeping myself well hydrated. <laughs> the air is dry right now. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm keeping myself well hydrated. Um, yeah. What was the next question? What is the best uh, piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, I I feel like I've received a lot of advice, not in kind of aphorisms or one-offs, but just kind of accumulated from um, from listening to people over time or just watching people but maybe um one that came to mind actually as you were talking a little bit earlier Krista, was um don't treat people like you want to be treated um treat people like they want to be treated um that the platinum rule 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that it's, it's very easy to fall back on like, oh, I would want this to be done this way and then kind of run with that. Um, but it um, opens up so many, uh, I don't know if doors is the right word, but like it, it opens up to a different kind of communication if you were uh, working with someone to see what they, what they want because it's not, it's often not what you want, mm. even if you think it's, I mean, like the, the, the easiest example of this, obviously, if you get someone a gift that you would like, like that's not necessarily something that they would like for themselves. Mm. Um, and just thinking about uh, conversations and interactions in that way, I think can be really powerful. Yeah, that reminds yeah. me of uh, another like life lesson I've had, which is uh, ask yourself what assumptions you're making that you don't know that you are in every situation about the people that you meet, no matter where you are, no matter how well you know, what you think is in front of you, whether person, subject, whatever, always mm. ask yourself, what assumptions am I making that I don't know that I am? It seems to me to be a part of that. that I've always found helpful. Yeah. Cool. And then hell. Um, how does hell yeah. fit into your life? Oh, uh, I'm uh, I'm gonna take a page out of your book and do a, a pop one and a classical one. Um, my popish one is um, do y'all do y'all remember Friday like by Rebecca Black? That was gonna be my other one. So not Friday, <laughs> but there was another song in that like vein called My Jeans. Oh it's my god, I don't even unbelievably wanna. terrible. Um, <laughs> like it's it's like really on a on a deep level kind of just yeah that would be that would be my health is song. it jeans as in the pants or like one's genetics as in the pants <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah my jeans the <laughs> there's also my favorite slash least favorite part of it is there's this uh random rap in the middle that seems to have zero connection whatsoever to anything else in the song and it's also <laughs> really bad um so that would be that would be a good one uh, overlaid on we or, actually were talking one. about this <laughs> earlier in the week um but uh steve reich is uh four organs i uh, i do like me some minimalism but that one that one puts me a little bit over the edge <laughs> it's oh, infinite and it's like just that right i don't know if it's the like overtones or what that like you can't it ignore rings it. Too it's much. just yeah. rolling yeah, in your brain. <sighs> yeah. Um, Are you yeah. a fan of uh, Philip Glass? Who? I go like depends on which ones. There's some of his stuff that I do find kind of boring, but there's others of his stuff that I I find really engaging and really pretty. Okay. Okay. I remember listening to. Um, like his album from probably the 70s or 80s when he was playing with his band and it was just you know him playing an arpeggio for is that a glass for like hours yeah yeah i think so i love and that album. yeah i yeah i'm a i'm a fan it's deceptively like, challenging <laughs> the, the piano solo stuff from that is deceptively challenging mm. is uh I play, I play it almost every day the first the first song from that what is it called i actually don't remember anymore is he did he do einstein on the beach yes, yes. he did which i, I like still einstein have to see so i will i have been in china him. though i've seen Don adams, adams right yep 
I'm a fan. I'm a fan. We're, we're playing the rep game now. Um, my favorite version of Einstein on the beach was actually uh, the Carolina Crown version. Oh my God! I was gonna yeah, yay. Oh, so right, good. you know marching yes. band drum corps. Absolutely. Yes. So wait, what is what's your classical music in Hill? Four organs. Oh, it is okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, great. And did you um, have a classical piece from Hill, Brittany? I didn't, but I could probably find one. <laughs> um oh geez what classical work am i not the biggest fan of or would torture you forever or would, tor or would torture me or torture you to conduct or torture you to play viola on <laughs> or in <laughs> oh man piece. i haven't like thought of it in that way honestly mm. i don't know if there's at least not in like the forefront of my mind if there's a classical work that i'm just like God, no. <laughs> Wait, that could be wrong. Probably Wagner. <laughs> okay, but which Wagner? Um, Is it when it's like 600 bars of D major? <laughs> yeah, some yeah, something along those lines, honestly. Yeah, probably Fair enough. an excerpt from the ring cycle where it's, I know there's four operas, yeah. but. <laughs> oh, man. Probably oh, like Ride of the Valkyries, honestly. It's just so. What if it was it, just like it, like before the theme comes in in Ride of the Valkyries, the strings? And then it was just that and loops. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that where he just extends whatever, like tonic or whatever <laughs> harmony for what feels like an hour. I don't know. Like... <laughs> can, you, can you land somewhere, please? <laughs> No, I'm really surprised you didn't pick Paco Bell. <laughs> well, I played violin for Paco Bell, so oh, yeah, okay. and the viola part kind of mimics that too. So it's like, all right, I have played the bass part once. God, <laughs> but yeah, all right, Who wants Cannonball. to jump into the pool first? Yeah, actually, we we kind of like we're gesturing to this already. Um, in in this question so we uh were thinking today about the the classical canon um heavy air quotes all around first around like classical because there's a question of like what even is the genre of classical and the kind of other question is um do we need a canon and like if for those not familiar the canon the classical canon is kind of the the great works that get played infinite numbers of times over and over. Um, so like your both your Beethoven's, your Mozart's, your your Tchaikovsky's. Um, so I guess those those are my first questions. What is genre and do we need a canon? We're starting small. <laughs> We've talked a lot about this the last two episodes too, which I mean mm. it's one of those things that you can just continue revisiting and talking about and your thoughts can evolve as you discuss it. Um, but like, what is genre generally? And I guess just a labeling system, honestly. I mean, you even look at like the history of how styles and genres within classical music have been just um, like 
decided and it's like oh well these composers did these similar things so they fall under this genre and these composers did these similar things mm. and they fall under this genre so it's just like a labeling categorizing um system aid <laughs> aid system but you know does it have to be there as humans who like labels and systems? Yes. Yeah. Well, it, well, maybe yeah, exactly. the better better question to that is like how defined that it to do the parameters for what fits in a genre have to be, and to what degree does it have to be enforced? Because my my natural thought goes to thinking about cuisine and food, and how that arises with with respect to genre and music, and then you know, a canon. And it's like staples in food or in a different specific kind of cuisine arising yeah. from the just patterns of behavior in eating and access to food, uh, depending on where in the world you are. Yeah. Um, which in, in thinking about cuisine, I, I think um, it's like so rooted in the culture Right, like when we think about genres of cuisine, we're often thinking about like, okay, is it like French cuisine? Is it like Indian cuisine? Um, it's like very obviously an upfront rooted in the culture, but I think in music, that's something that we don't always recognize. Um, and we kind of pretend it's purely about aesthetics when actually there's a huge cultural component. Or tastes in um, food. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, like, like if you think back to the the nineteen tens and twenties, and you had race records as a genre, um, even though it had a huge aesthetic range within it, like race records aesthetically makes no sense. It's a cultural genre, um, and uh, like there's there's so many examples. Like world music, what is world music? Um, classical music. Okay, so that. Uh, is music that spans a period of like several hundred years, but it's all kind of the same thing. Like, I think maybe because music is so abstract, whereas food just isn't. Like, there, there, there. It's so much easier in music to synthesize a subgenre, right, mm -hmm. and then enforce the boundaries, kind of, um, in in what feels almost unnatural, to to or like. Uh, like goes against just natural growth mm. of what might happen by trying to like set the boundaries in stone and then re and then enforce them between what fits in a specific genre and what doesn't whereas with food it's like there's a specific taste in mind with a cuisine but fusion is so much a part of it because you just want it to taste good <laughs> right yeah. yeah and then the way cuisine evolves is so interesting too which like uh, one of my favorite examples is, uh, um, you know, if you've ever been to India, you know, the more south you go, the hotter it gets and the spicier the food gets. And the reason it's so spicy is before refrigerators, spice was the preservative. So you yeah. got used, it just, you know, you get used to that. Um, it's not like forced in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so weird how these or Krista, what you said about forcing these boundaries, but a lot of it, well, at least earlier, a couple centuries ago, 
it wasn't necessarily forced, you know, it was just like, okay, here was a practice. Mm -hmm. And then people took that practice and they did what people do with cuisine. They're like, okay, well, this is like the form, the standard form, but I'm going to do this, or I'm going to add these like bits of um, ornamentation or whatever. And that's just little fancy additions to notes <laughs> or, um, or I'm going to like go from here to here, you know, but like, later on these musicologists and theorists decided okay well you know this is great or this is what's good and this is what they've done so this is what yeah. creates this style and then did that with stuff later and then like as that became a norm then they kind of just carried that through right and but at what point does noticing become enforcing because i think of i i totally agree yes. with you right um that like in one point you know mozart's writing a certain thing oh like oh that Haydn guy what he's doing is pretty cool i think i'm gonna try that like and and then people come up with this system of music theory to try and explain what makes mozart's music sound good but it's not exactly it's not like mozart has studied music theory in that same sense and then is trying to recreate it so it's like you know we're so good at thinking almost mm -hmm. to a fault and the there is this unintended side effect with standardization um, of thought, yeah. right? Because yeah. I think of what yeah. kind of to go through music theory in conservatory, completely squashing my own imaginative way of trying to be creative with harmony. Because there's a, it's almost like what sounds good is the only right way. There's a pressure there, right? I don't know, Andres, what do you think of anything I've just said? Um, I mean, mostly I'm wondering if it's too late to make a, a hide and seek joke, but, um, but <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, I, I, it's actually putting me in mind of, uh, something that, uh, shows up in jazz these days, um, uh, in, in, in certain schools, uh, of people notating these improvised John Coltrane solos, for example, and then trying to replicate them. Oh, um, so it's. Yeah, ex yeah, instead of a, a normal exactly. a normal practice. Um, yeah, and it's like but like practice though, or do you yeah. hear it in like performance too? Huh? So I, really, I've, I've, I I have not heard it in performance, but a, uh, a, a another former colleague of mine who's a, a who's a jazz uh, musician has talked about this and hearing in some performances people trying to replicate like the exact riffs. Um, on a thing which like while technically impressive kind of makes me wonder like well did you get the like what this was about yeah um, that's like what's going i feel like mind blown right now because you know yeah. especially as like a classical musician or classically <laughs> trained i mean i've been like surrounded by so many genres throughout my life and like like i grew up i played in like a jazz band as a kid or whatever so i'm like familiar mm. with the genre but like you know, classically trained at a college and everything. And then hearing that like, oh yeah, you know, these like um, classical music traits are bleeding into jazz. I'm just like, what? Why? <laughs> no. It has to do with the academicization it's... of jazz. Yeah. And the yeah. standardization that results from that. Yeah, and I think the idea of like great works is also bleeding into like great musicians, great works, great artists 
is also mm-hmm. leading into that because it's like yeah john coltrane was amazing like you hear solos and it's like oh my god like you hear about the story of giant steps and you're like wow okay but you know like no one can be the next john coltrane and sure it it makes sense to try to attain that but like understand that you probably won't and just find your own voice instead yeah in your own way exactly <laughs> have to have a, a moment to acknowledge that John Coltrane is from High Point, North Carolina, and I'm from High Point, North Carolina. Therefore, no. Um, you are a great, like, John Coltrane, yes. <laughs> therefore, we are both from the same place. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I think uh, something something that's uh, that's kind of coming up now is, like, this, like, how the canon happened in the first place, because um, it's held up uh like the idea of the great works um like there's there's a certain tension there between like we want to pursue quality we want to share like some really amazing things um but also this is often presented as as a neutral thing right like we these are just the great universal works um when in reality again there's this huge social context um and i know uh uh, Anne Schreffler, who's a professor at Harvard um, and friend of Eureka, wrote an article a couple years ago called The, the Myth of the Invisible Hand uh, in the canon, uh, kind of how we go about pretending that it's it's this neutral universal thing, and yet the canon is all dead white men. So mm-hmm. how neutral is it really? Well, it's like it's like an English garden, you know, it's very much natural in one sense, but highly, highly orchestrated. No pun mm. intended. <laughs> That's um, good. That's good. You know what I mean? Like, cause you, like yeah. it's maintained very specifically and designed. So it's like taking that invisible hand and manipulating it quite intentionally, depending on whatever the, you know, whatever the perspective of the time is. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to say one more thing about just what we were talking about before of um, like the side effects of standardization and especially of thought. And when you go to school, not prioritizing being taught how to think, but pr- pr- prior being prioritized to, to be taught what to think. Mm-hmm. And like one of the ways you can be, you can have your own voice is by really learning how to be a very critical thinker, but it's so easy yeah. to go to school and just have the content presented to you and take it in. So it's more of the what, not really how to take it in, but like what to take in. And there's an unintended side effect of that, right? Yeah, that just like reinforces everything. Another conversation on just the U.S. public education system that I just. But it's a very modern. It's it's a very modern. It's a very modern problem. Oh yeah. Because we're so good at thinking through things and wanting to categorize them and canonize them, right? That it's just, there's this unintended side effect. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, I wonder how much of of that is just a side effect of there is so much stuff out there. Like there is so much information. Is this just kind of a very human way of falling back into like, there's too much stuff. I need to limit it. Yeah, I mean, sure, absolutely. It's like the inflammation in the immune system is a response, but inflammation is also what causes disease, right? Um, It's quite natural in one sense, but there's there's this uh, great video on YouTube of Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, the astrophysicist, 
um, talking about uh, interviews, like like interviewing a candidate for a job. Have we we've talked about this before? So, so. like, so here are two people, uh, you know, that come to you're the hiring manager oh, at a job. Yeah. yeah, and here's somebody interview person A. And during the interview, like, okay, great, blah, 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 blah. Brittany, nice, nice to hear from you. You're interview person A. <laughs> um, so Brittany, uh, what, how tall is the spire of the building we're in right now? And then Brittany magically says, your interview person A, um, oh my gosh, I've memorized the, the height of every spire in this region. And I think uh, around the world of every major building. So the spire is exactly 358 yeah, My God, Brittany, thank you so much. That's so cool. It's exactly, exactly right. Great. Interview over. Thanks for a great interview. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Okay, interviewer B or interviewee B, Andres. And in the middle of the interview, blah, blah, blah. Same question I, I ask you. How tall Andres is? Do you know how tall the spire of this building is? And you like look down and you look up. Think, uh, can I? Let me get back to you in one second. And and you literally jump out of the seat, run, like take the elevator, run downstairs, go outside the building, look up at the spire, look at the shadow on the ground from the sun, uh, like get your like notepad out or your phone and start doing the math based off the shadow of the spire. And and like, huh, and then you think about it. And then you come back to the desk 15 minutes later. I've been waiting for your ass. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Welcome. But I was getting um, exercise, so it's fine. Yeah. Well, and then and then you say, I, I, it looks like it's a uh, 346 feet, which is not correct. But who would you hire of the two? The person who knows what to think, or the person who knows how to think? Right. Anyways, sorry, tangent. <laughs> it's really important, and it's lost. Very much in modern way of thinking because it's so easy to access content and ideas. Yep, and that story reminded me of how long it's been since I've done geometry. <laughs> what triangles are? It was no, it was. It was You're great. welcome, college student. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, Andres, tell us how did the Western Canon come to be in the way it is? Yeah, I mean that's that's. Basically, it. I think you can make an argument that the pieces in the canon generally are like they are really great pieces of music. Um, and I think the pushback is that they're not the only great pieces of music like the pieces in the canon. Many of them are there for a good reason, but there's a hell of a lot of stuff that got left out for really bad reasons right like. Um, first step okay who even can write right like you know. Literacy is pretty widespread, but like not everybody knows how to read music and you got to be able to know how to read music, um, at, at least especially back in those days, in order to be able to write it. And especially pre-recording, you had to notate your music down for it to get played ever again. Um, and then you had to, someone had to care enough to make copies of what you were writing down uh, or to perform what you were writing down so people would know what it exists, that it existed. And then after you died, someone had to care enough to keep those copies and not toss them in the trash or use them to wrap cheese or whatever. Um, and uh, then beyond that, like, great, you made it somehow, you've, you had your life, it was great, you got some performances, you died. 
and your music is still in print and circulation or it exists out in the world, but it might still be sitting on some hidden bookshelf if no one cares enough to uh, go back and look at it or if people actively tuck it away and keep it hidden away in the back. And I'm like, there's all kinds of examples for every single step of the way. Like um, Mozart could be Wolfgang or it could be Nannerl, but his sister, but she didn't get the opportunities to write and perform in the same way. Um, right, it's not an iron tight filter prejudice yeah. can be present at every level to take voices away, right? Exactly. Like how much of Fanny Mendelssohn's music was published under her brother's name because it wouldn't have been published otherwise. Um, because God forbid a woman write music. Um, or even Mahler. <laughs> Mahler is not a state protected yeah. composer in Vienna. His houses are still private property. Whereas there are literal composer, waltz composers who nobody knows who yeah. are protected by the state. Other property is, is protected by the state. Yeah, there you go. To be Jewish. Um, uh, Scott Joplin wrote a freaking opera that never got performed. Like, God Shimonisha. forbid a black man write an opera. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's a lot of music left out for really terrible reasons. And that kind of makes you wonder, like, okay, if that's, if canon isn't actually an arbiter for good stuff, it's actually an arbiter for good stuff by white men, then like, do we need it? Do we need to rethink how we approach our programming and our repertoire and our music? Um, you can probably tell my answer is, yeah, we do. Well, and do you, do you, when you say that, do you mean, do we have to rethink how we canonize music? Or it's like, yes, here's the canon as it's been, but uh, this is what we're going to do. Is it like, yeah. I would even say, um, do we have to, and then I, I'll shut up because I've, I've been talking a lot these past 10 minutes, but I, I, I would even say we, we can rethink whether we need to canonize things in this way because the message that also sends is not just this is good, but this is genius and genius is an untouchable, like superhuman quality, right? And it's, it's like finding a, a, another way to remove the music from its context. And I, I just don't think that that's helpful in understanding the music that we perform, the music that we talk about. And it, it I think, and I, I'm, I'm biased about this coming, coming at the conversation uh, from the perspective of a composer, but I think it's also detrimental to uh, the creation of new music as well. Well, at least like now, bias. because it used to be like that new music was played kind of all the time. Um, Brittany, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I think we need to take a canon to the canon. <laughs> oh I think God. we need to shoot that sucker out of existence. Um, yeah, I'm really big on dismantling the canon. I think I read it and heard it. And especially last year, because last year was the 250th of Beethoven and everyone was trying to do an all Beethoven season. And why? <laughs> why play more of the same Beethoven that you've been playing for at least 100 years? Um, 
I mean, I understand why. Every time I hear one of his symphonies, I'm just reminded of how just inventive he is. But at the same time, I recognize that there are other composers that have never been played. Or no, there are not rarely played. composer that needs to be played. Sorry. <laughs> if I could step sure in for a moment, because I actually have this number on hand. A uh, certain local ensemble uh, has performed, or at least as of uh, late 2017, had performed Beethoven's uh, Fifth Symphony 549 times. You said in one, 2017? Uh, un from oh, the beginning of its history uh, until, until 2017. He had performed That's it 549 so times, and uh, Tchaikovsky's number six had performed it close to 500 times. So, like, I'm, I'm with you. It's it's great. It's a cool piece of music. 500 times? Yeah. Yeah, really? May, may I offer some thoughts as no, well? No, not at all. <laughs> well, so, like, I think there's one part of this where it's, like, how much do you control what ends up being the canon, right? It's like music that you like. And so, and one, and humans, we all have this tendency to literally canonize individuals. Like it's just a thing humanity, people seem to do and groups of people seem to do to identify themselves in, in groups, right? So like, to what extent can you, can you, can you control that? Like to decanonize things? Okay, that's a conversation to have, but in terms of where we can very much have impact, it's it's in these, like uh, the stairway to the canon, right? Where that, that Andres was just talking about of like trying to figure out, like going back to noticing what assumptions might be being made that you don't know that are being made, right? Where mm -hmm. can you go and filter out prejudice that, that you don't like I might I don't know how Andres feels as a composer half the time I can assume really to easily. be fair I don't know how I feel as a composer half the time either so just try being a conductor because <laughs> it's all the time you don't know how you feel <laughs> fake it till you make it so like because yeah. like, we can do a lot to you know listen more and and make sure that the stairway is open to more people and more voices mm. um, at every level. And the canon just will, there is an invisible hand portion, just like there is an invisible hand in how plants grow. But we I very consciously, like with the garden idea from before, oh, okay. we can very consciously um, organize the garden. Could I ask kind of two models along these lines? Yeah. Um, so one is, is kind of trying to force that staircase open, as you're saying, and I'm thinking of, um, Florence Price comes to mind right now. Like there's been a lot of articles about her, her music has been performed a lot more recently. Um, like at, at Eureka, we have per performed her music, I think four or five times in the past year and a half, um, in the past three concerts. <laughs> And, yeah, I think it, concerts, at yeah. least one piece in the last three concerts, and then with the Boston Public Library project, we performed a, a piece of hers. Um, so that's that's kind of saying like, hey, this is a composer worthy of attention. She is a black woman, and she deserves to be in this canon every bit as much as your whoever Beethoven's box whatever. 
So that's kind of what the, the push to Sarah's open model. I would wonder, and, and Brittany, this is maybe more for you since you're in school right now, but um, I wonder if another way to do this is to talk about music history, especially in educational institutions, not as a collection of individuals, but as trends and kind of a more sociological lens. And I, I don't know how it's taught uh, over there right now, but I, I kind of wonder that sometimes. Yeah, there's there's like the two avenues that you mentioned in music history are the two schools of thought, whether you teach specific individuals who have kind of opened these pathways for people, or you talk about the trends and um, people that kind of fall under these. And it's, um, it's really interesting. I like the idea of describing trends because that also brings in the social aspect, um, any possible political aspects and just like curiosity of people also, like the introduction of sounds from other cultures fused in with theirs. And it's, it's interesting to read and talk about instead of just like, okay, here are these three guys and this is what they did. And I mean, I did take a course that was literally called Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven. And the thing about it was we did not focus on just Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven. That was the, the main focus, but we also talked about, you know, the Bach sons and we talked about a bit of Schubert and, you know, um, some other prevalent, like Scalieri, I think in that time. So it was, it was interesting to see, oh, you know, these weren't the only guys that were doing this. There were other composers during that time period, before and after, exploring these styles. But yeah. can I just say, like, yes, but like the information of these composers is there is out there for you to discover, right? Like, it's not like you have to be in a class to hear about it. And it's, it's, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to the how to think and what to think, right? Like yeah, that's exactly taught, There's this great yeah. quote by uh, Mahler where he talks about tradition is just laziness. <laughs> like, you know, it is easy to go with what everyone else is. It's easy to make mac and cheese and eat mac and cheese all day long. Like well, to cook mac and cheese is a little hard to make. Are we talking like easy mac? Like the three right, step easy but mac? Tell me, tell me Baked how mac and cheese. Tell me how many life-changing mac and cheeses you had. It's not all the time, right? Tw well, yeah. It's the same with <laughs> with you, probably, Brittany. It's all the time. I know. I get it. Fine. I try to be pretty Because you add scrambled eggs and, and gummy bears to the mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> also, can I just say that your blouse matches your binders on your piano and the book? Like, oh, oh yeah, they're both the blue. score reading books oh, that I nice. haven't looked yeah. at enough. <laughs> Oof. But like just the, the idea of tradition being laziness. And because when people program, it's so easy to just go to the canon. Mm -hmm. It's so much harder to do your homework and figure out who else was living near Mozart. Yes. Like, do you know who Hans Roth is? I don't know. Nope predecessor to Mahler, killed himself at 26 or died at 26, wrote a part of a symphony, uh, a symphony in E minor or E flat, I'm sorry, E flat major. I don't remember. It's one of those. But listen to it and tell me if you don't think that's where Mahler got his sound. 
because Maul, everybody was like looking at this young spirited composer. Nobody knows him because he died before he was able to do anything. But uh, he made an enormous influence on composers like Mahler. Um, but it's just like without doing the homework yourself, uh, you there's it becomes much harder to learn about that stuff, and it's so much easier. And I'm not saying this to you, but just in, again, we have so much access to content that we don't like go after it. We just wait for it, wait to hear about it. Like in class, you wait to hear about what the teacher is going to talk about. No one actively researches every single composer that lived in Beethoven's time. Um, yeah, and I I think that goes back to to what you're saying about like it's it's about the way of thinking the contents is out there but how we think about it is also uh really important um and wow i'm, I'm so excited we we solved music history education y'all <laughs> oh my god if only it were that simple <laughs> <laughs> for real um well i mean what what do you think we're doing in this group right well this not necessarily for your recon ensemble oh. <laughs> okay great <laughs> Like, um, I mean, we're not necessarily solving music history education, but we are working on programming. Um, and uh, we actually, one of these exciting programs that required a lot of research that Brittany did with Alan, our other co-founder, um, is going to be on display this weekend. So Brittany, tell us more about that. Yes, I am excited to honestly, like, researching for this program has been a lot of fun um so on sunday 4 p.m please correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> 4 p.m um ensemble will be broadcasting our program the world at home and we have works for string quartet by composers that span over three centuries two centuries <laughs> Hundreds of years <laughs> um, <laughs> from both millions um, and billions the twentieth century to now, um, from many different countries, from Brazil to Hungary to China to the U.S. It's it's great, and it's just there's a lot of different sounds, a lot of different as we've talked about, like you know some that may fall under the canon, such as Bartok, and some that you know, do not, such as, um, well, I mean, you know, again, the idea of the canon is flexible to me, because a lot of these names, I think, I mean, I'm familiar with them, and I hope that some of you listeners are familiar with them, too, and if you're not, then you will be once you attend the program. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. Thank you, Brittany. I, I, I can I just say with the whole canon thing, it's, like, I hate it when people tell me what to listen to. <laughs> Actually, I kind of don't like it when people tell me what I need to do. Like, really? Well, you really should listen to. It. Let me stop. <laughs> Everything we say. Unless it's just ice, ice, baby. You <laughs> <laughs> um, no, is only ice, ice, baby. <laughs> like I, I just uh, this just tr uh, triggered a thought from high school. I went to Jesuit high school. Oh, oh boys, Jesuit high school were one of the main things that was like seared into your mind every day was to think critically about everything all the time. And there was this one class we had to take which was history of the Catholic church by from a Jesuit priest. And 
like which you know you think a jesuit priest talking about the history of the catholic church that's like as biased as a professor can get about their topic but every single class every like every lesson this uh, uh teacher had to say gave sorry um he would always follow up at the end by saying all right everything that you just heard from me question it all like don't take it from what i said like you do the research, you doubt every you question, every single thing I say to you. And like, when is the last time you heard that from a teacher in music theory class or music history class? Everything I just told you about this group of composers from this time, Brittany, just question, like question everything I say. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if you did, and I was your teacher, you'd be creating a lot of shit for me. Like mm -hmm. that's so much work for me to try and manage you, <laughs> but it, I don't know. I've always learned. I just, it just triggered that in my mind because it's the same thing with the canon. All right, okay, great. Beethoven five. Okay, that's what's great about it. Wonderful. What else? Next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. Well, okay. Hopefully we'll continue. <laughs> okay. Bye. No, just, oh <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> no, but that's 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 um part part of the. The, the mission and the goal here is is to yes include some of these pieces that we hear a lot but also include um, give give you the the chance to to hear all this other stuff that's also really really cool and including all the stuff that we're gonna hear on Sunday I'm, I'm very excited to hear it very excited to hear I was only there for pudding I can't oh, wait yes. to hear the rice pudding mixed with scrambled eggs and hot sauce and mm, cookies delightful. oh my god and go into that dip with gummy bears. Mm, yeah. Oh my this god. Is, <laughs> that's why this is a music podcast and not a film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't listen to a college student. Oh my god. Oh, oh my oh. gosh. Wow, we're back to firing. Um, I, I think <laughs> there's just one more thing to cover on this, or we can let it go. We can go next time. Doesn't matter. Anybody listening? <laughs> Leave the people wanting more. We will. We will yeah. definitely come back to to this topic and variations on this theme, as we yeah. have um, every single episode. <laughs> you can tell what we like talking about. Well, I love you guys. Have a wonderful uh, rest of your night, and anybody that see you on Sunday. Thank you for tuning in. Yes, yeah, see you on Sunday. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Or we'll take a cannon. No, I'm just kidding. Bye. Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now we hope to see you all there. Yep. <laughs>